0: Have your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're going to start in 1 John chapter 1 and then we're going to go over to Philippians chapter 3 so if you find both of those places. Um, New Year's Day is a big deal. I know a lot of people last night had big parties, the ball dropped in Times Square. Um, uh, intellectually compromised students stay up all night. All kinds of things happen on New Year's Eve. But if you think about it, the celebration is all kind of arbitrary. I mean, we just turned a page on a calendar. It's just about numbers, right? I read the first solar calendar, which was a calendar connected with the Earth's revolution around the sun, was instituted in 45 B.C. by Julius Caesar. It was called the Julian calendar, and it it consisted of 365 and a quarter days. And that little quarter day always caused all kinds of problems. So in 1562, our modern calendar, which is called the Gregorian calendar, it's named after Pope Gregory, was instituted. And it added another day in February every fourth year to make up for that pesky day. Also, for those of you Latin students, The original calendar, the Julian calendar, started in March. New Year's Day was in in March. That's why we have, you know, September, which means the seventh month, and October, which means the eighth month. But when the Gregorian calendar was instituted in 1562, it moved New Year's Day to January 1st. And now, a lot of people celebrate January 1st. A lot of people uh, commit to lifestyle changes. We call those resolutions, which they don't keep. Uh, A lot of of other people are just done with last year. They're, you know, post-holiday blues and ready to start the grind again in a new year. But I think as Christ followers, it's important and appropriate for us to reevaluate and reorder our priorities on a regular basis. And maybe the first of the year is a great time to do that. But I've got great news for you. In fact, I've got incredible news for you this morning. There's, there's a scriptural axiom, a gospel axiom that God has provided that goes along with this conversation. It's in 1 John chapter 1, and I'm reading from verse 8 in the New Living Translation. It says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, And will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So it seems like there are only two options. Number one, to pretend like we don't have sin. Or number two, to confess our sins. And Jesus says, when we humble ourselves and own our sinful condition, he will always give us a clean slate. Every time. Now, we know this is true. Most of us have been in church a long, long time, and we know that 1 John 1, 8, 9 are true. But we're not really capable of applying that. We're really not capable of living in that. Why? Because we feel sinful. We're very aware of our sinfulness. We know what we ought to be. We know what we want to be. And we're sincere. We're very well-intentioned. But a lot of times it's harder it's, it's harder than we imagine. Let me illustrate this for you as you're turning over to Philippians chapter three. Most of us have at one time or another committed to what I would call Christian resolutions. Okay, this is the year I'm gonna read the Bible through, right? This year I'm gonna get up an extra half hour early every morning and spend time with the Lord in prayer. And most of us have a long track record of failure. In those areas. But Paul addresses this struggle so eloquently in this passage of scripture, starting in verse 5. I'm going to read a lot of scripture. Bear with me, and you can follow along on the screen. Paul writes I was circumcised when I was eight years old. I'm a pure blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. As for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Now, I once thought these things were valuable, but I now consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I've discarded everything else counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Verse 10, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Now, Paul is very clear about his life objective. Big picture. He says it right there in verse 10. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Now, I'm thinking of Paul the Apostle. Paul says, I want to know Christ. And I say, don't you know Christ? If anybody knows Christ, don't you know? And I want you to see that Paul's goal is not heaven. Heaven is just part of the deal. When you know Christ, heaven is automatic. That's where you're going. So here's the issue. If you were to ask me, Randy, what do you want ultimately out of life? What's your life objective? I would say the same thing Paul said. I want to know Christ. I want to walk in Holy Spirit power. So then here's the question Am I doing things on a day to day basis, week in and week out, month in and month out, that cause me to know Christ? Do I have habits and activities and behaviors and thought patterns and friends in my life that make me Christ-like? Now, Paul really helps us in this conversation. If you look at this passage, big picture, his objective is to say, I want to know Christ. Okay, well, that's good, but that's too big. That's like, we we can't even hardly get our minds around this. Here at CLA, we talk a lot about embracing Christ process. And that's true, but it's hard because really the only way that you can know if you're growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ is to look back on where you've come from. While you're growing, you can't see that. So it's frustrating. But the question here we have, at the end of 2022, am I more Jesus-y than I was at the beginning of 2022? Hard question. So Paul says, I know what I want to be. I have a vivid image of this objective. I want to know Christ, but he says, verse 13, I'm powerfully and painfully aware that I haven't arrived. Through all my best efforts, through all the sacrifice, through all my straining and striving, I've not become what I need to be. Okay, so Paul, what are you going to do? Focus. He says, I'm going to focus. And here's the good thing. Watch this massive objective. I want to know Christ. Okay, well, how do you do that? You focus. It's a little smaller. This is more doable, all right? Focus on what? Well, he says I focus on one thing. Now my ears perk up. If Paul the apostle says I'm focused on one thing, I want to know what that is, don't you? Well, it's the finish line, verse 14. He says, I want to reach the end of the race. That's what he wants. That's what I'm focused on. Now, this is a really common theme in Paul's writings. He wrote to Timothy, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. i fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness. Now, you might say, well, that's fine for Paul, but I'm not about to die. I'm not at the end of my life. I've got a lot of good years left. Okay, well then what is your goal? What are you shooting for? What are you living for? What specifically are you doing to achieve your spiritual goals? What priorities do you need to reorder and reevaluate in your life? What do you want? Here's the good news. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says we get a clean slate. Every time we ask, we get a do-over. All right, watch this. Paul says... My objective, I want to know Christ and walk in the Holy Spirit of power. How do I do that? I focus. Okay, focus on what? Here's the easy part. Here's the little part. He says, before we can ever focus on the big picture, first verse three and 13, 13 we've got to forget the past and look forward to what lies ahead. So this morning, what I want to do is I'm going to give you three things you need to forget in this clean slate process. And the first thing you need to forget is the bad things done to you. Paul is the poster boy. There is a list in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where he is kind of um, um, uh, s- establishing or defending his apostleship. And he says, you scoundrels think you're an apostle? He says, I've been imprisoned. I've been beaten. I've been stoned. I've been robbed. I've been shipwrecked. And then he says, these things shaped me. I wouldn't pray for these things to be absent from my life because I know that they're good for me. This is 2 Corinthians 12.10. He says, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Now again, we're listening to this and we're probably saying... Well, Paul, that's easy for you to say because you know that you were called by God. He met you on the road to Damascus. A bright light showed up. Jesus has been leading you your whole life. You have a a mandate on your life. It's easy for you to go through that stuff. Well, is God working his plan in your life? Could God be allowing these things in your life in order to shape and mold you? Teenagers, you're doing so good. I'm so proud of you. You okay? (laughs) Hang in there. Listen. Here's the truth. Talking about forgetting the bad that's been done to you. Most of us don't have a problem with circumstances. Most of us have a problem with people. Most of us don't focus on the bad things done to us. We focus on who did them. Am I telling the truth? So we struggle with bitterness and we struggle with unforgiveness. And then some well-meaning person in your small group says, yeah, but Jesus said we're supposed to love our enemies. And you say, well, I do love them. I just don't forgive them. (laughs) Right? But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that love keeps no record of being wronged. Fact. God loves you. God is always working for your benefit, even when it doesn't look like it. Can you believe that? Do you believe that? If that's true, we've got to put away the past. You've got to let go of the bad things that have happened to you. Second thing you need to forget is the bad you've done. Turn over to Romans chapter 5. Listen, as hard as it is for us to forgive others, I think it's probably harder for most of us. I'm talking about Christ followers. It's harder for us Christians to forgive ourselves. Let me say that again. I don't think you heard me. As hard as it is for us to forgive others, it's harder for us to forgive ourselves. We know, 1 John 1, 8, and 9, we know that if we confess our sins that we get a clean slate. We know that our sins are forgiven. We just just read that, so why do we struggle with guilt? Paul says in Romans chapter 8, there now is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Condemnation, that is... Bad feelings or guilty feelings about things you've already been forgiven for. That's condemnation. So why do we struggle with condemnation? It's because we have a spiritual enemy that's warring against our souls, and he is really good. He's effective. Did you confess your sins? Yes, I confessed my sins. Every day, a hundred times, I confessed my sins. Yeah, but what about that one? Yeah, but that one you did over here, I remember that one you did. Oh, come on. God's not going to let that one go, right? And truthfully, folks, listen, when we feel that way, we really don't believe the gospel. We're not embracing the gospel. Because the gospel says, you are forgiven. I've removed your sins as far as the East is from the West, Psalms 103. I've cast your sins into the sea of forgetfulness, Micah chapter 7. And we say, well, yeah, thank you, Lord, but what about this one? This one's too big. I, I can't get past this one. And what we're saying is, God, I know better than you. Why would we do that? That's not humility. That's pride. And it's not that we don't believe the gospel. It's that it's too amazing. We struggle with the gospel because it's too incredible. This is Romans chapter 5. Have you got that there in front of you? Starting with verse 6. Watch this. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. Verse 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from what? Condemnation. Verse 10, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies... We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Here's the gospel you are way more evil than you ever imagined, and you are way more loved and accepted than you could ever believe. That's the Bible. I didn't make that up. That's what the word says. And if we believe that, and if we embrace that, we would be able to forgive our enemies and we'd be able to forgive ourselves. We'd be able to turn that loose. And I'm telling you, if you want to move forward in 2023 with a clean slate, it's mandatory that we forget the bad done to us and we forget the bad that we've done. And finally, number three, you've got to also forget the good that you've done. Another ugly Christian characteristic is that we're not very self-aware. Paul confesses there in Philippians chapter 3 of his tendency to lean on his resume. He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, card-carrying Pharisee, where legal righteousness is concerned, I was faultless. And then in verse 7, he describes the transformation. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but I now consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. How many of you were raised in church? Did all your entire life memories in church. Me too. I knew all the memory verses. I always got the perfect attendance pins in Sunday school. I was, I was, Brother Cass, I was a Royal Ranger patrol guide, Outpost 19. I was a youth group leader back then. It was a CA president. You guys remember those days? I was a CA president. We are Christ ambassadors. Sorry. The point is, are those bad things? No, no, no. Those are good things. Those are very, very good things, but they're old things. They're in the past. And I talked about our struggle with self-awareness. We tend to live in things that happened that were good in the past. We idealize that revival we were part of. We, we idealized youth camp and our experiences there. I often brag about that person that I led to Jesus just the other day. Wait a minute, it was 10 years ago. And we, we, we live in the past. And I'm telling you, we cannot grow into the new things that God has for us until we forget the old things that are in the past, even good things. All right, let me close with this. I'm going to tell you a story. And it's kind of a circular roundabout story, so bear with me. I'll get to the point, I promise, unless I lose my train of thought. Honey, make sure I don't lose my train of thought, okay? Thank you. By the way, it's really good to have Emma, my granddaughter, with us today. I thought I wanted to embarrass her before the day got over. My wife's most precious possession is an ice maker. A few years ago at Christmas... I bought her one of those Nugget Ice Makers that makes Sonic Ice. Yeah. It runs 24-7 at our house. Jacin's second most prized position, or maybe tied with the Ice Maker, is her Cocker Spaniel Kauai. She might argue about the priority there, but, but we have come to understand that her Cocker Spaniel Kauai loves Nugget Ice almost as much as Jacin does. So when she gets up to go into the kitchen to make her glass of tea, Kawhi follows her. This is the the dog of a thousand sermon illustrations. (laughs) He will follow her in the kitchen and he goes on point with his nose to the floor and doesn't move, doesn't quiver. And when a stray nugget falls his way, he's ecstatic and he snarfs it up. So Jason said, Kawhi seems to really like Nugget ice. So in her compassion and kindness, she got one of the little plastic kind of rubber made storage containers, little bowl, and she put it on the floor. So when she gets herself ice for her tea, she puts a scoop in the bowl. Now, here's the problem. We'll be sitting watching TV and hear a terrible racket behind us in the kitchen. Kawhi will flip over his bowl and scrape it around on the floor until somebody gets up. He'll scrape it around, make this terrible noise, and then run over in front of the couch and look at us. <laughs> and then if we don't move, he'll run back and scrape his bowl around again. And my, my wife will invariably turn to me and say, I think Kawhi wants some ice. <laughs> and I invariably say, why would I care? But this is what I do say to her regularly when this happens, and it happens way too often, by the way. When this happens, I always say to her, Honey, who is training whom? Now, I gotta give my wife props. Now, this story's gonna have a point, just bear with me. This is the, I think, the sixth cocker we've had. I, I bought her a cocker spaniel when we first got here. Is it six? I've lost count. But, but I think this is number six, and she'll usually buy a puppy when the old one is about ready to check out. And so we've had Kawhi now since 2017, and he is very well trained. My wife does a great job. She crate trains all these cockers so that they don't pee in the house. Kawhi has a little bell that hangs on the back door when he wants to go outside. He rings the bell, and um, all the little kind of easy Tricks like sit and speak, you know, that you can train him with a treat. He does all that, and he's very, very well trained. But there are some dog things. There's just some behaviors that she has not been able to train out of him. For example, when the doorbell rings, he goes crazy. He goes charismatic. And and she's tried to get him to stop barking when the doorbell rings. He won't. He's going to bark when the doorbell rings. Um, another one, I've forgotten. I wrote it down just a second. Oh, yeah. He, when we're eating, he will sit and stare. And she has him trained, or he won't make noise, but he has this guilt-inducing stare, and it, it, I, I, don't, I don't handle it very well, okay? So what I'm trying to tell you is, I think overall, Kawhi is a, a good dog. He doesn't get in the way. He's Jason's dog. He's well-trained, and that's good. But there's, there's some, this last bit of training we can't seem to get done. We've we got these few little things we can't accomplish. So we have settled for this. This is good enough. Our dog is kind of trained, <laughs> and that's good enough. Now, here's my point. It's kind of the same with me and my sin. And what I'm telling you is, I know how weak I am. And I want to be holy. I really do. And I want 2023 to be better than 2020. Because Jesus has just been so good to me. And I'm so grateful. But still, I work so hard to train the sin out of me. And I just can't get it done inevitably, I fall short. So what happened in 2022, now we're at the end, what happened last year was I settled for good enough. I settled for kind of trained. But here's the great news. Jesus knows that about me, and he still loves me. Jesus said in Romans chapter 5, that he came to die for me while I was a sinner, while I was shaking my fist in his face, saying, I want nothing to do with you. He saw me and he loved me and he came and he died for me. And in his death, he reconciled me to God. I could never do that, no matter how hard I tried. Impossible. Jesus did it with his blood. Angels sing about it this morning. And now the Bible says that Jesus has made me friends with God. So here's the point. If Jesus knows that we fall short, if Jesus knows that we struggle with our humanness, and and we keep messing up over and over and over again, then how does he respond? What is his response? Clean slate. Now, here's the truth. I'm running out of New Year's. We were watching Hometown the other day with this show with Ben and Aaron Napier, this couple in Laurel, Mississippi that read Ferb's houses. We love that show. And she said something that just struck me. She said, I realized I've got 18 summers with my kids. So when I was getting this message together, I thought, I wonder how many New Year's I have left. I don't know. But here's the point. I do not want to waste another one treading water. I don't want to get to the end of 2023 and realize that I just maintained status quo, especially when Jesus handed me a clean slate and said every habit, every issue, every fear, every evil thought, every problem that you have that's keeping you from knowing me, wipe it away. Every single time. I will forgive your sins and I'll justify you. Bring you back to righteousness. So I'm just saying at the precipice of a new year why wouldn't we take advantage of this beautiful gift? Let's stand. Heavenly Father, there's too much. The gospel is, is too much. This this truth, this absolute Bible truth, and we know it's truth, that you continue to love us when we're so unlovable, that you forgive us when we sin willfully. In fact, we we commit the same sin over and over and over and over. The Bible says all we got to do is own that and confess it, and you'll give us a clean slate every time. That's just crazy. But Jesus, we come today to grab a hold of that truth. We come today to embrace the truth of the gospel not just with our heads but with our hearts so that we can walk in Holy Spirit power and we can come to the place where we know you like you invite us to know you like you made provision for us to know you. So Jesus as we close this meeting today do a work in our lives in Jesus name.